0: This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Living Witness Ministries is seeking to fulfill its God-given mandate to reach the world with the life-giving word through outreach ministries, including the Living Word Podcast, Living Word Broadcast, and Daily Words of Witness on our pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Liker. In addition, Living Witness Ministries is embarking upon our Project ATL campaign, with the goal of establishing and launching our ministry headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, in the fall of 2021. If our outreach ministry is a blessing to you, won't you consider supporting the ministry and our vision? You can donate via Cash App at dollar sign LW Ministries 2020. That's dollar sign capital L capital W ministries 2020. Thank you in advance for your support and for doing your part to help us reach the world with the life-giving word. Our text today is found in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. We're going to be looking at two verses today, verses 15 and 16. And what you'll find written in those two verses reads as follows what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace may it never be do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as always a slaves rather for obedience you are slaves of the one who, whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness as we speak to the subject this morning liberty or license amen liberty or license on march 23rd 1775 Patrick Henry, one of the founding fathers, uttered a quote that has lived down through the annals of time unto day, unto today, as it pertained to the coming revolution. When he spoke the words, "Give me liberty, or give me death," he was making a proclamation, but he was also making a declaration. He proclaimed, "Give me liberty, or give me death," but in the midst of making that proclamation, he was declaring that he was willing to give up any and every form of bondage, even if it meant natural life itself for the cause of liberty. He understood that this thing called liberty was something that was life-giving as well as life-altering. And what many of us today have failed to realize is that same measure of value and understanding of liberty In our lives as believers, particularly as it pertains to our walk as believers that are walking in holiness. Our text today is not only a declaration, but it's a proclamation of us as believers standing firm on the promises and the word of God, willingly giving ourselves over to doing the work of ministry, not for our glory, but for God's glory. But taking it a step further than that, not only being willing to do the ministry, but being willing to lay down our very lives if necessary to pursue the cause and work of Christ so that others might come to know him. So that when we're found in the presence of God, we're found in the presence of God, hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so many of us today desire to be faithful servants, but we struggle. We struggle with the religious dynamic of serving God, which inevitably leads us to sin, but our word today is designed to help us understand and realize that freedom from sin doesn't necessarily mean freedom to sin. And what I mean by that is we can declare that we're going to be free from sin and we declare that we're free from sin by standing on the promises of God through Christ, which is the whole premise of being once saved and always saved. And that is true. Jesus did die once for all times. He was a propitiation once for all times. But that does not mean that we can fall out, that we cannot rather fall out of a state Of living holy. And so many individuals that have said yes to Jesus Christ. Have said no to holiness. Because they've stood on the promise that God made. Because God made his promise. And what we've done is we've taken license. Many individuals have taken license into saying, well, sin is okay, it's okay is because God's got me. I'm here to let you know, church, that, that the, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. The way to hell is a wide road, it's a smooth road, it's a nice, smooth ride, it's a convenient ride. You can have all the amenities and all the luxuries that you desire. That's why the word says, that we discussed last week, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and there are very few men or women that find it. Why? Because they're not looking for the comfort. But instead, they're seeking out the comforter in the midst of their journey on this walk into eternity. God is letting us know that being free from sin doesn't mean that we have license to do whatever it is we want. But instead, we have to be like Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. I would rather put my members to to death instead of putting you, God, to shame. I'd rather pluck out my eye and come into heaven rejoicing with one eye than to find myself in hell, whole. And you may say, "Well, well, Pastor, help me understand what you're saying when you say freedom from sin doesn't mean freedom to sin. Well, that's true. Freedom from sin doesn't mean freedom to sin because, first of all, Christ's liberty transcends the law. Amen. It transcends the law. And if we look at what it says in our text, it says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be, Paul says. He goes on to say, don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And that's what we need to understand. Christ's liberty transcends the law. Because in in the midst of the law, there's another greater law at work from Paul's day until the time of the writing of the text. The gospel of grace has been accused of providing license to sin. And that's even true today, church. If salvation is the gift of God's grace, a lot of people are thinking legalists argue wholly uh, apart from human works. What will motivate people to lead holy lives? And that's a fair question. If Jesus did all this for me and he did it because he loves me, it should be okay for me to live any kind of way. And that's absolutely not the case. Here's why. Paul in the text here never gave an inch on the vital issue of salvation by grace. And we can't either. We can't give in to the naysayers. We can't give in to the compromises. We can't give in to the lukewarm Christians. Revelation lets us know that there is a place for everything and everything in the grand scheme of eternity will find its place, including lukewarm believers. The word lets us know in Revelation that it'll be better that you be hot or cold. Cause if you lukewarm, God's going to just spew you out of his mouth. You have no place in land. You're just going to be out there. And there are far too many people that have said yes to Jesus that believe that they're walking in holiness and they're on their way to hell because they're just out there. They think it's okay to compromise in their walk. They think it's okay to compromise in their verbiage and in their thinking and in the stances that they take. But my Bible tells me that we're to let our yea be yea as it pertains to God and the things of God and to let our nay be nay as it pertains to God and the things of God. See, with God, there is no gray area. With God, there is no half-stepping. God wants you either all in or all out. A better way to put it, God wants us all in, but his options are either you all in or you're all out. And a whole lot of individuals that are skirting along the fence in their minds and skirting along the fence in their spirits, in their own rationalization, are going to find themselves on that last and evil day if they don't make the conscious decision to fully commit just as Patrick Henry did. When he said give me liberty or give me death to fully commit to doing this things God's way and enjoy the freedom that comes with doing it God's way because doing it God's way transcends the law it transcends our logos it transcends our logic and where our reasoning resides and it taps into the essence of the relationship that we have with God the word says that that he loves us with an everlasting love beloved and ever Lasting love. That means no matter what happens, he loves us unconditionally. But that love unconditionally is designed to transcend the law. It transcends logic. It transcends reason. It's kind of like when you find the one in your life that's truly the one, it doesn't even make sense, the levels and degrees of love that you have. Your friends are looking at you like you're crazy. Why are you doing all this for this woman? Why are you doing all this for this man? You don't understand. The love that I have for this person, the love that I have for this person is transforming me from the inside out. And the love that we have for that special and significant other, that special someone is a a prototype of the love that God has for us to be on display here in the earth. That's the agape dynamic of love that God desires us to walk in. And when you walk in that agape dynamic of love. The liberty is what you're looking for. The liberty is what you're looking for so that you can show God new and different ways of how you desire to love him. New and different ways of how you can show him his worth in your life. Because that's what worship is. It's the practice of showing God just what he's worth to you. It's not based on works. It's based on worth. Worth. It's not based on anything that we can physically do or offer because we have nothing that we can physically offer God or do for him that he can't do for uh, that he can't do for himself. Heck, he made us. But he wants us to make the choice to say, God, this is what you're worth to me. You're worth me stepping out of my comfort zone. You're worth me. Taking the risk, you're worth me offering myself and giving myself fully and completely to you, giving myself away to the fancies that come with loving you because in you, God, there's fullness of joy. This is why we are not free to sin and we don't have access or license to live just any kind of way, but instead. Because we're free from sin, we're secondly constrained by God's grace to do his will. Amen. We're constrained by God's grace to not look at the license dynamic of it and think that it's a life sentence. I've heard so many people tell me and other people. I've heard men say that, well, marriage, you got another life sentence. And I say, you know what? I'll gladly have this life sentence. I want it to be an eternal sentence because God has blessed me with a woman that loves as God loves. He's blessed me with someone that together we can form a complete picture of God because that's what God desires. But, let's go back to what it says in the word containing that's that's contained here in the text here. And I want to go back and look at the beginning. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. May it never be. Paul makes it very, very clear of the place that grace holds in the dynamic of license versus liberty. The Bible teaches, a salvation that's entirely by God's free grace through faith and in which human works play no part. But there's a second way here, church, that we're looking at in which the doctrine of salvation by by grace can get perverted. Fulfilling legalist fears, and this is where religion comes into play. Some people believe that since God's grace covers all their sins that they can live as they choose and what Paul is saying here vehemently, he's addressing that error. He's saying that the very thought of a Christian living in persistent and habitual sin is horrifying. It's horrifying. Paul is saying, forbid, may it never be. God forbid it, says in the King James Version. That's absolutely horrifying. Don't even step to me with something that crazy, something that evil, something that potentially is that deadly and that damning to you. We fail to realize, church, that just as our God is a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of love, because he is. He's very much a God of judgment, a God of punishment, and a God of everlasting condemnation to death and destruction through hell. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is with God, there is no gray area. Which leads to the hypothetical question, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul not only responded emphatically, may it never be. But he went on to say, if we translate it to everyday language, that's ridiculous. That's impossible. There's absolutely no way that that'll work. And he even took it a step further than that. He even went on to the point to point out the the self-evident truth that no one can serve two masters. And therein lies the challenge with a lot of individuals today that profess the name of Jesus Christ. They want to feel that they've got they've got license to get away with this sin over here, a license to get away with this sin over there, a license to get away with this thought over here, a license to get away with this word over there, because I got a relationship. But let me tell you something about relationships. The root word of relationship is relate. And when what you're doing gets to the point where God cannot relate to what you're doing, because it's outside of his character and his nature. I'm here to let you know by the providence of God that you're on very, very shaky ground and in very, very dangerous territory. My sisters and I have a saying. Really, my sisters, in my world, in my view, worldview, kind of kind of brought it up. When somebody does something that seems kind of suspect, they say, God ain't in that. God's not in that. And at first I just kind of dismissed it and kind of laughed it off. But as I got a little older and started thinking more about what they were saying, it speaks to the point that's being made right here. What grace does is grace is unmerited favor. It's favor that you've earned, not because you've done anything to earn it. It's favor that's given to you by volition, by choice. God is saying, because I see worth in you. I'm going to give you the grace in the hopes that you use it as a spiritual runway to get your life together and to get your act right. And as we do that, we begin to be constrained as we allow the Holy Spirit to do it. When you constrain something, it's like if a horse is running full tilt. I used to like going to see the harness races when I was a kid. And when the horses were running full tilt to get the horse to slow down, what the jockey would do is he would lean back and he'd pull on the reins. And pulling on the reins would constrain the horse. It would would hinder the horse from being able to run so fast with so much force and it would force the horse to slow down. Sin wants to keep us running at a breakneck pace towards a cliff that leads to death, hell, and the grave. But the Holy Spirit constrains us and it's by God's grace and by his mercy that we're not consumed. And it's in and through that amazing grace that we find the realization that it's not by... Our might, nor is it by any power we feel we possess, but it's by God's spirit that we have the capacity to even make the conscious choice to let God be God. We have to yield to our real master because we can't serve two masters. Everything in life is ultimately revolves around one of two masters, God or the devil and holiness is defined as everything revolving around God as being the opposite of what my sisters would say. God is all up in everything that you do. He's all up in, in all your words. He's all up in your thoughts. He's all up in your actions. He's all up in your vision. He's all up in your purpose in life because your vision and purpose in life and words and thoughts and actions are not yours. They're his because you've given yourself completely to him. We have to understand that it has to become a habit. Dare I say, an obsession. Dare I say, a self-imposed ultimatum and edict. Like Patrick Henry stated, give me liberty or give me death. I'd much rather die and guarantee that the good that I've done would stand and give me a place in glory. And me cutting my life off would would, would, would would stop me from sinning, and I'm not I'm not condoning self-murder. I would I, I would rather that 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 Lord before I put myself in a position to disqualify myself from heaven, that You would intervene and do whatever You deem necessary to constrain me by Your grace to keep me running in the fullness of the liberty that You have for me to stand there because that's why the word says stand there for for in the liberty wherein Christ has set us free and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage that's sin and there's a reason for that which is our third point the reason for that is that Christ's promise of salvation should be the motivating factor in our lives for us to obey his will amen look at what it says here back in verse 16 in part it says don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you're slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness obedience resulting in righteousness that's where god desires us to reside because that beloved is the hallmark characteristic of living a life of holiness it's unadulterated obedience unhindered obedience unencumbered obedience unassuaged obedience, meaning no matter what comes my way, if it blows like a howling wind to try to blow me over, I'm coming, Lord. If it hits me in the face like a monsoon, I'm coming, Lord. If it's a blizzard that has me up to my neck in in hindrance, I'm still coming, Lord. Why? Because this earthly vessel is nothing to me. You're everything to me. Your promise of salvation is what motivates me to live for you day by day. It's what motivates me to praise you when I have have nothing in man's eyes to praise you for it's what motivates me to lift you up when it seems like my arms are too heavy to even pull myself up it motivates me to pray when i feel that there's nothing happening and to keep on praying keep on pushing praying until something happens it's a motivating force that keeps me saying that it's gonna rain like noah did when there hadn't been a cloud in the sky since creation it's the motivating force that keeps me hoping when man would say stop hoping it keeps me blessing God when like Job's wife everything around you might say curse God and die the text is letting us know don't be deceived by those who claim that since Christians are forgiven they can therefore sin at will. you got to understand that that's not the case because people like that don't know anything about God's grace because God's grace is not giving us license to sin, but instead it's instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, to live righteously, and to live godly in the present age. Because Titus 2, 11 through 14 puts it this way. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, For good works, zealous for good works, having a Paul Henry mindset for the gospel, having a Paul Henry mandate self-imposed for the good news, having a Paul Henry mission for the ministry that God has given to us. God, give me liberty in my mission. Give me liberty in my witness. Give me liberty in my worship. Give me liberty or give me death. I'd rather die praising you, God, than to live without you. That's where God desires us to get to. God desires us to be zealous for him. To make no bones about whose side we stand on To make no bones about who it is that we love To make no bones about who it is that's valuable to us To make no bones about who lives on the inside Everyone should know that the greater one lives on the inside of us So the question is asked now Of each of us And it's the same question that I ask now Of you that God asked of me, even as he built this message. What are you willing to die for? Are you willing to settle for nothing less than liberty in your life? And die for the cause of Christ? Or are you looking for a quick exit so you can have your cake and eat it too? And die glorifying your flesh. It's a weighty charge and it's a weighty message today, church. But God needs us to be understanding and willing to carry the weight. Because he never puts any more on us than we can bear. But he puts enough on us so that spiritual gains can come. And spiritual gains come when our faith is tested. There's a test going on, church. Like never before. And as long as we allow God to be God. And stand in the liberty that he's given us. And not yield to that license. We will pass the test. We will be a blessing to God. And we will see him face to face. In glory on that great and glorious day. Amen. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin. I ask you into my heart and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports. Please email me. The email address is at gmail.com That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.